I said last week that we're going to be finishing our study of Ecclesiastes. And it's this week we're going to actually finish our study that we began in January of, of Ecclesiastes. But I also said last week that I pray that Ecclesiastes isn't done with us because there is so much wisdom in Ecclesiastes. There's so much that we see. All you have to do is watch the 10 o'clock news and you see Ecclesiastes being born. You see everything that, that Solomon warns us about, you see on the news every day. We, we see in Ecclesiastes how that he presents us with a false premise. He f- presents us with life apart from God. Now, he, he shows us a p- life apart from God, and then he, as he gets to the end, he says, okay, in order to make life make sense, fear God and keep His commands, for this is the whole duty of man. So he comes to this conclusion that life apart from God will never make sense, but life with God will. And so he comes to this conclusion easily, though, though he tries everything. Now, he, he literally tried everything. He was rich. He was a king. He could do whatever he wanted. And he tried everything. Soup to nuts, A to Z, wine, women, song, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you could, however you want to look at it. He tried everything and found that life makes no sense apart from God. And that's kind of the conclusion he comes to. But as we look at Ecclesiastes and we see that the, the life apart from God being played out on our TV screen every single week, we, we can understand this is not a political battle. This is not even an ideological battle. This is a spiritual battle. We're in the midst of spiritual war. And you can see it as you look back through Ecclesiastes. So we're going to kind of do that today, and I'm hoping that you'll keep a, a, a marker in Ecclesiastes and keep coming back to it. When you're absolutely disgusted with the world as it is, come back to Ecclesiastes and see why it is this way, why it is what it is. So he's given us the wrong perspective for 11 chapters. Now in chapter 12, starting in verse 8, he really dives in on what's important. And so let's read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 8. It is up here behind me. It says, Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. In addition, the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write the words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So he begins by, by talking about absolute futility. Now, your, uh, your Bible may have this as, as vanity, 
Vanity of vanities. And, it, and the word really means the same thing. But notice, chapter 1, verse 2, and, and chapter 12, verse 8 are the same. They're the same. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, absolute futility, everything is futile. And, ch- and chapter 12, verse 8 says, absolute futility, says the teacher, everything is futile. This, this idea of futile or vanity, it's, it's the reason I've had this slide the whole, through this whole study, because that word literally means a wisp of smoke after you extend, extinguish a candle, or a vapor. It means nothing. He's pointing to life, meaning absolutely nothing, being very short. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. Is there any meaning or purpose in this wisp of smoke after a candle has burned? All it shows is that there once was fire. Is there any meaning in vapor that dissipates? Only that it shows that there once was moisture there. That's it. That's all it does. So it's very short, and it's meaningless and purposeless. And that's what he's trying to tell us. Life is like apart from God. He has, it has no purpose. It has no meaning. It has literally no reason. Now he goes through, and, and, and as I said, he was king and he was very rich. So he could try everything, and he did. He tried everything. And everything led him to the conclusion that life is futile, vanity, a vapor, a wisp of smoke after you extinguish a candle. That's what life is. It's short and useless apart from God. So that's how he comes to the conclusion, this is what life is really about. Fear God and keep his commands. Because life doesn't make any sense any other way. It just doesn't make any sense any other way. And, and so he led us through this, and so we're going to recap. We're going to kind of look at what he talked about in, verse, or in chapters 1 through 11. So let's kind of work our way through this. Chapter 1 told us that my, mankind comes and goes, and the earth remains. So nothing changes. Nothing changes. And then he says, nothing's new under the sun either. So what has been will be. So nothing changes, and, no, and there's nothing new. Chapter 2, he showed us a life uh, lived in the pursuit of pleasure. Pleasure. If you just live life for pleasure, you will never be satisfied. There is no satisfaction in that. Never will be. We have, we understand these days, it, it's the, uh, the rule of diminishing return. The more of something you have, the more of it you need. We understand this today. The way Solomon puts it is, it doesn't matter how much pleasure you, you go after, there is not enough. You can never find enough. Then he goes, in chapter 3, he tells us that, that timing is everything, that, that, that everything has its time, and God's in control of that time. But he put, brings out probably one of the most important features, and that's in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, God has put eternity in our hearts. Augustine said this was the God-shaped space in us. This is this void, this yearning for life to have meaning and purpose. We yearn for life to be more than just eat, sleep, repeat. Don't we? We want more for, than, than life to be work, come home, eat, sleep, repeat. 
We want life to be more. And that's that yearning that, that Solomon says God has put in us, the eternity in our hearts. And that yearning is filled by God alone. Now, our world, all we see on the news, all we see in our society is that our world is trying to fill that void, that emptiness, that yearning with, with everything else. Everything else. Power, money, wealth, possessions, you name it. They're trying to fill the space in them that only God can fill. God put eternity in our hearts so that we would find Him, so that we would seek Him, and nothing else will ever fill it. Chapter 4 told us that, that working for wealth is awesome, but when you die, you leave it for somebody that never worked for it. So working for wealth and possessions, you, you gather up all your stuff, and then when you die, it goes to somebody who never worked a day for it. So that's not, uh, that's not a reason for living. But he also brings up in chapter 4 the important point of the, the, the cord of three strands. The cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, when we studied that, I, re, I, I put those, uh, or, or I, I taught those as the believer, Christ, and the church. You unite those three, and, and you are not easily broken. But you take one away, and you, you may not stand. Christ, the believer, and the church, a cord of three strands, not easily broken. Then in chapter 5, he says that joy only comes from God. So find joy in your work because it's the work God's given you. Now, I have told my kids their whole lives, find what you love to do and then figure out how to get paid doing it. Because then you'll never work. Then you'll always go to work. Because here's the problem. Our society says money's the reason to work. So you, you go after money. Is money ever enough to get you to go to a job you hate? Never. It never will be. It's not meant to be. Find joy in the work God has made you for. God has given you to do. Because joy only comes from God. Then in chapter 6, he tells us the, the tragic story of the man who was never satisfied with good things. God has given him all these good things and he's never satisfied. He does everything he can to fill his stomach, but his appetite means that he'll need to fill it again. There's never an end. It's never satisfying. It's never enough. Chapter 7 begins the, the wisdom sayings, you might call them, or is what I call them. They're essentially proverbs. And there were two that I thought really stuck out. The first one was that, that God is in charge of time. And so he brings the days of prosperity and the days of adversity. Both are from God. So we need to recognize God in both the prosperity and in the adversity. We need to see God in it. We need to recognize God in those times. And then he also said that, that God made mankind upright, but that mankind follows many schemes. Now, unfortunately, we know exactly what this means. We feel this, actually. We understand this. 
We were made upright, but we follow sin. We follow sin. We will chase it down. Now, that's not God's fault. God made us upright. That's not God's fault. We did that. Sin did that to us, and each of us have made that choice to chase sin. Mankind was made upright, but we have followed many schemes. We cannot blame God for our sin. In chapter 8, told us how the, the, this, this world is upside down. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. The, the righteous get what the wicked deserve. The wicked get what the righteous deserve. If you want to see this in action, look at those who are standing for what God says. Look at those who are standing for what's right, what's true. In our society, they are being treated as if they're wicked when they're the righteous ones. We see this happening. Chapter 9 tells us that the world is, is completely upside down. The race doesn't go to the fastest runner. It, the, the battle doesn't go to the strongest warrior. If we were to make up this world, it would follow our rules, but it doesn't. It doesn't follow our rules. Why? Because we're not God. There is a God, and it isn't us. He made the world, and it follows His rule. And, and chapter 9 also brought up the, the one sinner that can tear down a kingdom. One sinner can tear down a kingdom. That's not how the world should work, but it is how the world works. One sinner can tear down a kingdom. Chapter 10 told us about the corruption of government. Wow. That's all I can think. Wow. Because Solomon writes 3,000 years ago, and he's telling us that power corrupts, that government, government officials are, are, are corrupt. Wow. I guess that it, it's kind of helpful for us because it's not a 21st century thing. <laughs> it's not something that our political system invented. He's writing 3,000 years ago and saying power corrupts. Government corrupts. And why does it corrupt? Because of that God-shaped space in each of us. Because each of us are selfish. The people that are in government aren't any better than we are. Each of us have this selfish nature. We look for our own good first every time. The only cure for this is Christ. The only cure for this is a heart transplant by Christ. Chapter 11 started to tell us about how God's economy is different, how, it, how to receive we must give. We must cast our bread on the water. We, we, we receive by giving. And then he told us to rejoice in life, as much of, of life as we have, because life is a gift from God. It's a gift from our Creator. So we rejoice in every year we have. We rejoice. We live rejoicing. Joy, because every year we have is a gift from God. Every day we have is a gift from God. So that's kind of the, the recap. So life, what if life is not what it seems? What if life, we look out and see that, that our society lives apart from God? Our society says all of these things in chapter 1 through 11, those are reasons to live. We say, no, none of those work. None of those make sense. None of those add up. What makes sense 
is chapter 12. What makes sense is fear God and keep his commands. That makes sense. That means my life has purpose and meaning. That means I can rejoice. That means I can live fully. Fear God and keep his commands. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because that's the only thing that will fill the yearning within us. That God-shaped space, what Solomon called eternity in our hearts. If we don't live for eternity, if we live for today and tomorrow and what we can get, then we will never really live. We need to live for God. If we want a, a life that matters, a life with meaning and purpose, we need to live verse, chapter 12, verse 13. Fear God and keep His commands. It's the only way life makes sense. And that's where Solomon comes down in verse 13. He says that the truth of life strikes like a cattle prod or like a well-driven nail. And this is that truth. Fear God and keep his commands. This is the conclusion Solomon came to. Solomon came to this conclusion that he isn't God. There is a God, but it's not him. And that in order for life to make sense, you need to relate to that God. That that yearning within us must relate to the God who put it there. That's, what, that's how Solomon saw life making sense. That's after trying everything else. This is what Solomon comes to. This is his conclusion that, that the only thing that makes sense is fear God and keep his commands. He even says, you know, there's going to be lots of books written after this. And think about right now how many books are written. The, the printing press is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of books printed every year. Not a single one of them can replace the truth. Not one. Not a single one of them can affect the truth. Because the truth of God is. And so we fear God and we keep His commands. We live the truth of God in a world full of lies. We live the truth. So this is how Solomon came to his conclusion. This is is Solomon's conclusion, that life doesn't make any sense apart from fear God and keep his commands, because that's the whole duty of man. How about you? What conclusion have you come to? Are you living for the next greatest new thing? There's nothing new under the sun. Are you living for pleasure? There's never going to be enough. Are you living to try and fill the void you feel? Only God can. God put it there for himself. Are you living for wealth? How much money is enough? There isn't ever enough. Are you looking for joy in your life? Only God brings joy. God is the author of joy. Are you trying to be satisfied with everything else? Only God brings true satisfaction. Are you trying to to find a cure for, for scheming and sin? God has given us that cure, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross to pay the price for your sin. Are you trying to make sense of an upside down world? Only God makes life make sense. 
Has sin wrecked your kingdom? Christ is the cure. Christ is the cure for your sin. Are you caught up in all of this political corruption, especially these days? Remember, we don't live for the president. We don't live for the Senate. We don't live for the Congress. We live for the King of Kings. We are citizens of heaven, living for the King of Kings. Are you, are you looking for a life of rejoicing? It's a gift from God to rejoice in every year of your life. So I said last week, live from your heart. But I made, the, uh, I made the, uh, the caveat to that, that you need to live from your heart surrendered to Christ. Because a heart not surrendered to Christ, what we see in our world today is people living from their heart, living from an empty heart, living from a void in their heart, living from a yearning that cannot be satisfied. A heart surrendered to Christ is a heart that, that will live. And then you can truly live from your heart and fear God and keep His commands. That's, that's what Solomon is, it comes to the conclusion of. But I still must ask, have you come to the same conclusion? Do you understand that there is a God and it isn't you? Do you understand that, that, that life means nothing apart from God? It has no meaning. It has no purpose. Everything you work for is just left behind. But living for eternity means everything you work for goes with you. Everything, all of the relationships, all of the treasure you have stored up in heaven goes with you. Have you come to the same conclusion as Solomon? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and consider that question. Have you come to the conclusion that, that Solomon has come to? That life doesn't make any sense apart from God. Do you need to take a step of faith toward God this morning? Do you need to, to, to surrender your heart to God this morning? To fill that eternity, eternity space. To fill that God-shaped space within you. Because you can this morning. It's a simple prayer. A prayer that just acknowledges your sin. God, I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've done things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. He died for my sin to pay my price. And so I ask you to forgive me because of His finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life, empower me to live, empower me to live rejoicing. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Elbow your neighbor, let them know. Come and let me know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but as you look back over your last couple of weeks, you realize you have been living for everything else but. You have been trapped by chapters 1 through 11. Will you take this moment to surrender and refocus on chapter 12? Fear God and keep His commands.
Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Father, that, that we can have a, meaning, have a life of meaning and purpose, a life of rejoicing, <coughs> a life that matters for eternity. Keep us mindful of living for chapter 12, of living for you, of living surrendered to Christ. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.